It's time for another episode of the Negative Positives Podcast. And now, coming to you live from Los Angeles. No, wait. Coming to you live from Miami. No, that's not it. Coming to you live from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Mr. Worldwide, Andre Dominguez. Welcome, everyone, to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode number 189. Uh, This is the midweek solo show by yours truly, your beloved co-host, Andre Dominguez. Apologies if I sound a little stuffy, woke up... um, little congested and my (laughs) immune system definitely hasn't uh been the best as of late but as i indicated in the sunday night episode with mike and m today's uh mid midweek solo show is going to be about extolling the virtues of the six by nine format and specifically the fuji gw 690 system uh, and then also getting into why I ended up selling mine uh, as much as I love it. So for um, part one, I'm kind of just going to break these down into uh, a, f- a few different areas that I want to address. But for the first part, when you think about 6x9, uh, unless you're going to be getting into the kind of panoramic formats, your 6x12, 6x17s, um, which are very difficult and expensive to get into unless you're going to go down the, the pinhole route with something like the, you know, um, the reality so subtle cameras. Um, shout out to Corey and Andrew from the Lensless podcast. Um, 6x9 is probably going to be the largest format that you'll regularly encounter in the medium format world. Now, a lot of this comparison that I'm going to be doing is going to be in relation to large format and kind of describing why there's a reason why I haven't delved too deeply into into large format, even though I've used it several times, including for a couple of photography classes. Now, the, the negative size of a 6x9 negative really is a decent bit bigger than you know six four five or six by six so what that ends up giving you is quite a bit of you know quality resolution and depth of field um yes a a four by five negative is going to be bigger and you know fast lenses with a four by five are going to give you much shallower depth of field than um than six by nine but really not that much in in my opinion the maximum aperture of f3.5 on the Fujifilm uh, 6x9 rangefinders is enough to really be able to get some pleasing, uh, you know, shallow depth of field portraits, such as the one that I took of my friend in uh, the coffee shop that many of you may be familiar with. And the thing that I'm kind of getting at here is that, you know, when I when I look at, you know, trying to get that 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 look that really shallow depth of field on a, on a really big negative, the ease of being able to use a camera like the Fujifilm that, you know, is, is hand-holdable, has a, a really, you know, bright and easy-to-use rangefinder in comparison to <clears throat> something like a, a, a 4x5 where I'd have to use it on a tripod. If it is something like a Graflex that has a, a rangefinder, those usually 
either aren't calibrated right or are really small and, and hard to use so you have to use the the ground glass i personally have never been able to wrap my head around the the upside down flip even though it looks kind of nice and, and straight on the back of the camera when i finally you know develop the negative it's all crooked anyway um so yeah you really don't lose that much uh by stepping down slightly to uh, 6x9 from, from 4x5. Another thing to consider is the fact that um, for a lot of us we that start out with 35mm and uh, you know then go up to, to medium format, uh, you don't really have to, to buy anything extra in order to deal with that film. Um, most of us use kind of a, a Patterson style tank that has you know reels that uh, can do both 35 and 120 whereas with 4x5 if you want to stick with that Patterson tank you have to buy that um, that mod 54 adapter or a lot of people now are really enjoying the um, oh gosh what are they called the that that tank where uh, it's essentially it looks like um, it actually kind of looks like a, a big drinking flask um, with with two um, holes, I think. It, oh yeah, it's the Stearman Press SP four four five, and you actually load the four x five sheets the same way that you load your four x five film holders. And a lot of people really really enjoy that, but they those do run around, I believe, I think eighty to one hundred dollars. Um, so you're gonna have to buy extra uh, equipment in order to just develop the film. On top of that, if you're gonna be scanning the film. Most of us probably start out with a, a rather inexpensive Epson uh, scanner, something like a, a V550 or a V600. And uh, unless you want to be scanning half of the the image and then stitching them together in, in Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever, you're gonna also have to you know step up to a a more expensive scanner um, or start you know printing, whether that's contact printing or or you know, having an enlarger and making full darkroom prints. So essentially the, the jump into 4x5 requires a lot more um, investment in terms of gear for developing, for scanning, for, uh, for printing. Um, negative storage. One of the things that I really love about 6x9 is that with the print file sleeves uh, that I use for, for medium format, which are the, I believe it's, is it is it four rows of three um yeah four what is it well yeah it's just four rows i, I shoot mainly six by six when it comes to medium format so it ends up being four rows of three uh you get eight shots of yeah eight shots on a roll of six by nine and so it ends up fitting very nicely uh you know four rows of of two shots each into those print file sleeves. Now, if any of you guys have shot um, formats such as 645 and 6x7, you might be familiar with the fact that uh, you usually have to kind of overlap onto a second uh, print file sleeve for all of the, the images. Depending on whether your, your 645 camera does 15 or 16 and how much spacing there is between sometimes you'll have overlap and 6x7 I just haven't found a print file sleeve that will hold um, all what is it 
10, I think, for 6x7. Um, negatives on the same sheet, and that can be really frustrating when you're trying to organize your, your negatives in a binder. Um, in terms of, of lenses, uh, one of the, the great things about that Fujifilm system is the fact that it's a it's a fixed lens. You don't have to, you know, worry about having a, a bunch of different lenses, which you know can be limiting in, in some uh, scenarios. But increasingly, I'm starting to really pare down my lens selection, and I, I still struggle to go out, you know, shooting with just one camera, one lens. But I know that. If I do, I'll usually have a better time because I'm not having to worry about changing out a bunch of things. And sorry about that, guys. I had a little phone call. Um, if I remember uh, where I was kind of getting off of. Um, actually, no, I don't remember. Lovely. <laughs> um, anywho, I think I'll, I'll kind of just skip down to the end and, and say sort of why did I why did I sell the the camera if, if I seem to really enjoy using it so much uh, it really became a, a shelf queen it it was great to you know shoot uh, my remaining stock of medium format Provia 100 which is another point um, slide film in 4x5 is very difficult and expensive to come by and while at the moment our only options for Medium format slide film are Fujifilm, and uh, I'm not 100% certain how long that's going to last. Um, hopefully, if we if we keep on buying Ektachrome in in enough quantities, and uh, that that goes well for Kodak, that they'll release that in 120 as well. There, other than large format slides, there really isn't anything like a a, a big six by nine slide. I mean. You're probably not going to be able to project it with a projector, um, but just putting it on in a print file sleeve and uh, sticking that on a light table or just holding the, the positives up to the light, uh, that's probably for most of us going to be the biggest um, size slides that we'll be uh, dealing with. Um, but yeah, it, it as much fun as it, as it was to shoot especially uh, slide film, I really ended up um, not using it that much. If I was going to be enlarging it uh, with the fact that it's the same aspect ratio as 35 millimeter, um, with all the, the proportions, I ended up having to, when printing to 8x10, you know, kind of cut off the, the top and the, and the bottom every time, uh, which was kind of annoying because uh, Especially being a, a range finder, um, a lot of times I would kind of forget to frame it uh, with the, the 8x10 crop in mind. Um, also with only 8 shots, uh, a lot of times I would favor the, the Roloflex over it. Um, and so uh, for, for those reasons, it kind of just sat on my shelf for a long time. And when I had the opportunity to sell it to... Um, friend of the the show and, and my fellow uh, watch friend Jake Rose out in Canada I jumped on the opportunity um, really if if there are cameras that I find myself not using and especially when I look back to 
what my experience was at Cinestill in the summer, where during the week I had a few opportunities to shoot kind of on my way to work, um, during my, my lunch break, and then more so on the, on the weekends. Uh, I, I became very kind of particular about what I was shooting. I was doing a lot of street photography in Hollywood, um, you know, on my commute with uh, my Leicas, um, and then meeting up with friends and kind of just doing some mix of street photography and some portraits with them with the Rolleiflex um, and a few uh, pinhole stuff, like some more kind of creative artsy pinhole stuff on like Sunday mornings uh, when everybody else was uh, was busy and I had a, a few hours to myself to just go in and do something creative. So. Because of that, I've been paring down my, my collection of, of cameras, and it's actually funny because I don't even consider it really uh, like a, a collection anymore. The way that I, I used to, you know, buy cameras because of historical significance or because I thought they, you know, were really kind of cool and quirky, even though I probably knew that I wasn't going to be using them super often, you know, to be able to own something like a, a Roly, uh 35, you know, one of the smallest 35 millimeter cameras, or um, uh, the, the Nikon F3, which was a really cool design collaboration with, uh, you know, famous Italian designer uh, Giugiaro, who, you know, designed everything from Ferrari cars to a few um, Seiko watches. Uh, the, he was actually the one who put the red stripe. Um, on the handle of the of the Nikon F3, which then became kind of a, a trademark for a lot of their SLRs and then later DSLRs. Um, that was kind of how I, I viewed uh, camera collecting back then. It was like you know, anything that had historical importance, anything that had like you know kind of cool quirk to its history, I felt uh, justified in, in owning it. Nowadays, um, I really don't. Feel it necessary to own something that I'm not really gonna be using with the advent of things like film objective and just the the community uh, itself I, I really do hope that we are able to kind of grow this um, this thing of, of people within our community lending each other cameras and, and doing kind of uh, temporary camera swaps uh, grows I, I really enjoyed using John Gregory's OM2 over the summer. Um, if there's anything that I really want to try, there's probably a way for me to to try it out um, without having to to buy it and then selling it at a at a later date. So yeah, uh, as much as I I really enjoyed the Fuji, it's it's off to a new home, and um, you know now I've got <laughs> a very very uh, small collection of, of cameras that I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll never sell, um, which, you know, frees up some room to, to buy more watches. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, I think that'll, that'll be it for this rather rambly, um, conversation on the virtues of 6x9, uh, in comparison to, to 4x5, um, why I ended up selling my beloved Fujifilm GW690 Mark II, um, and so for this next, uh, section, Let's uh, bring it over to Leo Nishkin, who is going to be delivering a call-in camera review about the Bronica ETR-C. All right, be, be right, blah, be back with you in just a bit. 
This is Leo Nikishin, and here's my review of Bronica ETRC. Yes, you heard that right. Bronica ETRC. Not ETR, not ETRS, not ETRSI. ETRC. On paper, it's the least interesting model in the entire Bronica ETR lineup um, because it does not have interchangeable backs. It only has a removable 120 or 220 insert and the back panel is on a hinge so it cannot be completely removed. Um, there is uh, no dark slide or anything like that. It also doesn't allow uh, the use of automatic exposure modes um, if you have a metered prism. Uh, so the metering will still work and you can still see the reading uh, but it will not set the uh, shadow speed automatically because there are no electronic contacts to allow that. But I think it's exactly the simplicity that makes this camera interesting because the fewer features the less there is to go wrong. And uh, it's not uncommon for removable uh, bags to develop all, kind, all sorts of problems, slight leaks, um, it's not uncommon for dark slides to jam or develop other problems. So in a sense this camera just might be one of the most reliable in the Bronica lineup. And if you are looking to buy this camera uh, it's more likely that it has not been worn out uh, by a wedding photographer back in the 90s and 80s. Uh, because those guys would generally prefer uh, cameras with interchangeable backs. Needless to say, you still get all the advantages of the Bronic ETR system. You get the flash sync at all speeds and beautiful Zenzanon glass and uh, lots of uh, accessories such as speed grips and winders and whatnot are interchangeable between all the cameras. Of course, it also shares some drawbacks with other cameras in the system. One of them is one five hundredth uh, top shutter speed, one five hundredth of a second, which is pretty slow. Uh, the other one would be a very substantial mirror slap, and I generally find it necessary to go one stop above the reciprocal rule to compensate. One area in which I struggle with this camera a bit is long exposures, and this is the same for uh, all Bronicas in the system. Uh, because the shutter is electronically controlled to 8 seconds, and that's great. But if you want to go past that, you have to flip a switch on the lens barrel to T-mode. Uh, and that means that the shutter opens when you press the shutter release button, but it only closes when you flip that switch on the lens barrel back to the normal position. And I have yet to find a way to do that without introducing camera shake. Because you have to physically touch the camera, the lens in this case, so the whole thing will move. And I think that's just a really bad solution. And clearly this camera was not designed for long exposures, but it's a pity nonetheless. All in all, I really enjoy my Bronic ATRC and I would recommend it to anyone that doesn't need interchangeable backs. Uh, it's a fun camera, it has an appeal of its own, and I think the glass, the Zenzanon glass is just magnificent and a lot of the time very reasonably priced. So if you see one for sale 
and uh, don't need interchangeable backs. Be aware that this is not a typo in the advert, it's ETRC. And give it a shot. That's it for this review. Um, you can find me on Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group, also on Instagram as 10 Rolls of Film. Uh, you're also welcome at my blog, 10 Rolls of Film.wordpress.com. That's 10 as in 1 0. And also, there is now a podcast of the same name, 10 Rolls of Film, which is available on Anchor and on all the podcast apps and platforms. Hope you're all having a good time and shoot some film. Thank you so much, Leo, for the Colin camera review. Uh, just as a reminder to the rest of our audience, if you would like to send in a short, about one minute uh, review of a camera that you really like in your collection, make sure to send that over to us. There's a couple different ways you can do that. You can record your uh, one minute voice memo in the Anchor app, or if you just want to use your whatever voice recording uh, app you have on your phone, send that to us in an email at negpositives at gmail.com. We would love to hear uh, your voice and the cameras that you enjoy using. All right, folks, I think that'll be it for today's solo show, trying to keep these relatively short. So where can you get in touch with us and find uh, more of, of all of our work as a community? Of course, you can join the Facebook group uh, on Facebook, the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group. We are now at over 2,200 members strong. And uh, while we, we obviously have lots of people in there, there still is a, a very you know, loyal <laughs> group of, of OGs that, that, you know, definitely post a lot and, and um, during the week while, while we're kind of waiting for, for new content to come out, oftentimes, you know, post discussion questions and their own photos and experiments and, and ideas that they have. So if you're not following the Facebook group, you're really missing out on half of the negative positives experience. You can also uh, look at, at some of our images on the Negative Positives Instagram account, which is managed by the wonderful Bryce Randall. Uh, Bryce has been trying to you know, highlight some of our, our audience members' work, and we also post an image, um, kind of like our, our favorite image um, of the guests that we have on every uh, Sunday. So that, that's definitely something that you should check out. Uh, once again, a reminder to send in your call-in camera reviews. And on the topic of zines, we've actually been receiving a lot of zines recently from our listeners. If you'd like to send us a copy of your zine, uh, we'll, we'll give you a little shout-out and, and review it on the, on the show and post some pictures in the Facebook group and on the Instagram account. You can send those to Mike and I. Just send us an email at negpositives at gmail.com and we'll provide you with our mailing addresses. Uh, last but not least, a little reminder, it is already December, folks, so if you have not sent out your Emulsive Secret Santa gifts yet, get on it. Uh, especially if you're partnered with somebody overseas, you're definitely going to want to give um, you know, the mailing services a few weeks to, to get it out there so that your, your match can receive their gift before the 25th. And um, whenever the 25th does roll around, uh, make sure to post your images of what you got in the in the Facebook group. I think that's honestly one of my <laughs> favorite parts of, of Christmas starting last year and I'm sure for, for many years to come 
is uh, waking up on on Christmas morning, opening up uh, you know my Christmas presents, my Emulsive Secret Santa present, and then uh, hopping on the social medias to see what everybody else got. Uh, that's always you know quite a bit of fun. And and this year, if you would like to. Uh, do a little face cast on the Facebook group, kind of unboxing um, what you got. I think that would be really cool, even if you have to, you know, ask your loved ones to to hold the phone while you while you rip it open. I'm sure that'll be plenty entertaining, especially from, you know, the likes of of Mr. Stephen Ray. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for for joining us for another uh, rambly midweek solo show. Um, catch us on. Sunday night slash Monday morning for another full episode with the gutter man in the gutter man cave. In the meantime, everybody stay positive and shoot some cool film photos.